0: Good morning. Welcome in to Lindsay Lane. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. There's a sweet spirit in this place today. I'm thankful that the Lord would put us together and give us Sunday mornings for us to worship Him and hear from His Word. Uh, I I don't know if I got to meet everybody here this morning. Obviously, I didn't get to meet everybody, but. It means a lot to me to get to greet you if you're a first-time guest or if we haven't been able to connect. And I know our staff and many of our leaders want to do that. But thank you for being here. And I hope that we get to talk soon if we haven't yet. And I'll hang around after the service if we've not met. And uh, we're just glad that you're here. And another thing I'd like to say before we actually get to work here is, uh, man, try out a group. Try out a group. Brittany and I have been able to, to visit every group here at Lindsay Lane over the last few months, we'll do so to January just to continue to get to meet the people here of this great church. And uh, and we enjoy it every time. And I'll, I'll tell you what you'll find when you get in a group, there's real people there. There's just real people, just like you that are, are trying to hear from the Lord, serve the Lord. They want to do what's right. I uh, got leaders in there that care about people. This is how we connect with the church. And so I'd encourage you when, when even before January, but if you're thinking about New Year's resolutions already in November. Try out a group. Get your family in, in a, in where you go from the rows to the circles so that you can connect with people, so that they can minister to you, and so that eventually you can minister to them. Uh, but it, it makes the church get smaller and more connected, and uh, we've just really enjoyed our time being able to connect with you all in groups. And so I'm thankful for our leaders. I want to encourage you with that before we, we read the Word. Let's read Mark chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And we're going to study today, amen? We're going to get to work. We're going to study the Word of God. Let let God change our world. And Mark chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got into a boat. And then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. And he taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Jesus, in his ministry to the multitudes in the Gospels, is is ministering to a lot of people who have heard his opening act of John the Baptist, who have now heard of his healings and his feedings and his teachings and all of these things. And now crowds are beginning to form around him. And as we said Last week, what Jesus has come to do is to reveal God to man and to invite man to God. And then you should know that as well. Whenever the word of God is taught before a multitude, it is so that God is revealing himself to you and and inviting you to him. Each time Jesus would speak to the multitudes, and we have a multitude of people here. Each time Jesus would speak to the crowds, he would speak in parables and Short illustrations that would provoke thought. It would sponsor understanding. And these parables are are not like just Bible illustrations that I'll give you today that connect to a certain point. These parables are meant to provoke thought, but they are also meant to produce a response. A a true parable begins to get the listener to, to deepen their understanding and involve them to the point of they are not just hearing it, but involve them to a point of a personal decision about God's truth and his or her life. Parables are, not, are often not the easiest to understand. Like if you're just reading in the Bible, you open it up to the Gospels, you begin to read a parable, you may finish it after a section, and you may be like, what in the world did that mean? And again, their purpose to provoke thought, to ask the questions of what does that mean? What is he speaking of? Parables are not meant to be a quick source guide to explain everything away. Well, why not? Why wouldn't Jesus just make it so plain and easy when he was speaking to a multitude of people there? The Bible says in Mark chapter 4, verse 34, in his public ministry, Jesus never taught without using parables to provoke thought and produce response. But afterward, the Bible says, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. So when he talked to everybody... He would speak in a way that would provoke their thought. And when he got together with those who were his followers, he would explain that thought to him. This happened after Jesus gave the parable that we'll study today. The parable of the farmer scattering seed. Jesus is in the boat. Large group of folks that have already crowded in on him. So he gets in the boat just off the shore so that he can teach them from a distance And he delivers to them this parable. And after their time together concluded, after he has laid out this this short story, this short illustration, the disciples of Jesus get him alone afterwards and basically come up to him and go, okay, what was that? Like, what did that mean? And so Jesus said to them in chapter 4, verse 10, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say To the outsiders. To the outsiders. Now again, you think about what parables are meant to do. Parables are meant to provoke thought and to produce response. It is the heart of God that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. So it is God's desire that if you are an outsider, you become an insider. Like God wants those who are thinking about it to be about it. God is desiring from his heart to love the world So that if we would confess with our sin that he is Savior and Lord and believe with our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We will go from the out to the in. And so Jesus speaks in parables to provoke thought. Now here is is two biblical reasons of why he introduces it to the crowds but then explains it to the followers. First, parables fulfill prophecy. All the way a while ago, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Jesus quotes this. In Mark 4, 12, he is predicting, Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 is predicting God's revelation would be seen and heard by many in Israel, but only accepted by a few. They would see him teach and heal and cast out demons. They would see these things, but only a few would accept him as Lord, as King, as God. They will see and not learn, the Bible says in verse 12. They will hear but not understand. So, again, what we're leading to is that when, when God is, if you're saying, why don't He just make it plain? Well, there's faith involved. And, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. A characteristic of the nation of Israel, the people with whom God began to bless the world through in their biblical history of the nation of Israel is a common characteristic of doubting God of doubt, of not taking him at his word, of questioning who he is and his authority over them. Listen to this that I read this week. Pride doesn't listen, it knows. And that's so good. We, we, we get so cotton-picking prideful that God can't even tell us what to do. That God himself, through miracles and healing and authoritative teaching. Can't even get to us. Because we already know. We already know. And again, here is God in the flesh. He is proving himself through mighty miracles. He is working in the hearts of people. People are coming to him and following him. He is healing people. He is casting out demons. He is revealing the truth of God. And things are beginning to change. But even in the crowds, even what they expected, even the miracles and revelation was met with resistance because of their Already no attitude. Secondly, the reason why Jesus spoke in parables, again, is because of faith. Parables invite faith. Many in the crowd, and especially those who were religious leaders, believed only a way to God that involved them giving their best effort to do what was right. They, they had already believed to the point of when God even got in front of them, I hear what you're saying, but it, that, basically what you're saying is, is we got to do enough good to get right, right? Like, that's what we want to hear in our heart because it makes sense to us. Just tell me what i got to do, and I'll do it. It's, it's something within our control when we think that way. But, y'all, the Bible says we are saved by God's grace through faith, not of works. Because there's not enough works that can amount to holy. Before God. With a sin nature like ours, we are saved by God's grace through faith. Yes, I do believe there will be a heart and a mind understanding of a need for God to save us. But you do not have to understand the entire mystery of life and heaven and have all your questions answered for your heart to be open and to be receptive to the truth that God is real. God loves you, he really will forgive you, and he's made a way for that. And for the worst of sinners to have new life through the blood of Jesus. You ain't got to understand a theological degree type learning. Just know that God made you, he loves you, you're a sinner that separates you from God. But God solved that all important problem by giving of himself and sending his son to die for you. So that you may live and have eternal life. There's no amount of works that you can do in order to be right with God. God did all the work so that you could be right with Him. Through Jesus. That is the old, old story that is the gospel. And Jesus raised up from the grave. Got up from the dead to validate all the claims and to give us living hope of eternal life. And in between, as Jesus is, is teaching and revealing the mystery of God... And as he is living God before them, and before he gets to the death and resurrection, and as he is teaching, what we have here between this provoked thought of a parable and a produced response is faith. Is faith. That is what God desires. Real faith that leads to works. Not works that lead to faith, but real faith that leads to good works. Like, we may not understand everything yet. But we believe we are sinners, God is righteous, and Jesus is the way. That's a childlike faith. Let me tell you, when I got saved at 11 years old, I knew as the Spirit of God, as I sat in a a Sunday night service at the back of the church, I'd been in church forever, 11 years forever at least. Thought I was a good kid, heard the gospel, realized there were no good kids. I realized I was a sinner. And at that moment, at that moment, I was a sinner. I was separate from God. That preacher and my parents put together that the answer to that problem, the solution to that problem, was the grace of God through Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. I didn't have no kind of degree. I needed God. God said, you can have me. I called on the Lord. I called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. So as he is provoking thought, and leading to a produced response, if you yourself are in this place where you're thinking like, I don't, you don't know my story, and I really want to be forgiven, and I don't know everything, and all these things about you, just know that God has made a way for you to be right with Him. And it's as simple as calling upon the name of the Lord, and it's as serious as repentance. Parables invite faith. Jesus said in verse 24, as we, as we look forward to today, Jesus said in verse 24, Pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. And you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Lord Jesus, may we listen today. May we give you our full attention so that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, if we are not right with you, may your spirit convict us of the truth about ourselves and the truth about you. And Lord, if we are right from you, right with you, oh God, that we would live like it. Sharpen us and develop us to a closer walk with thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus taught in parables to provoke thought, produce response. And the parable of the farmer scattering seed in Mark chapter 4 provokes this thought of which one am I and which one do I want to be? There's really four heart areas that we're going to look at through the scripture as we read uh, uh, of the condition of the heart as the gospel gets to it. And we think to ourselves, which one am I and which one do I want to be? And as we read this, we're going to read it in two frames. In one frame, you have Jesus telling the parable. And in the second frame, you've got him answering the parable with the disciples. And we're going to read both of those together, starting with Mark chapter 4, verse 3. Listen, he says, with an exclamation point. There's an emphasis. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. Can you imagine Jesus in the boat, the crowds forming, they're beginning to murmur and say things, and it's pre-service type stuff, right? And Jesus says, listen. Listen. And he just starts into this story. A farmer went out to plant seed. And Jesus explains the farmer and the seed picture to the disciples in verse 14 this way. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The word of God is the seed and his purpose to produce a new plant. The servant of God is the farmer. And the farmer is dedicated to cultivating the ground and setting out seed. Now, Jesus did not clarify or specify if it was speaking of himself as the farmer or if it was just speaking in general to those who serve God faithfully by sharing his word. But Jesus is our example to follow, and that means that representatives of God are farmers to a field. Those that represent God, serve God, in right relationship with God, are farmers to a field. Farmers look for potential in a barren field. They see a barren field and they close their eyes and in their mind they see a row crop. The believer does the same thing. We don't look on brokenness as brokenness forever. We look on brokenness as potential for God's grace. We look in a neighborhood, we look in a family, we look in an individual and we see brokenness. We see the lives of people and we see their dirt and we see a potential for growth. That God could get to them just like he gets to us. And farmers, as they have a real desire for that dirt to grow new life, the people of God have a desire for those that are broken to be put back together under the hand of God. This is the desire of God's people. Now don't get freaked out by the thought of witnessing, because that's what we're talking about. We're speaking of witnessing, we're speaking of sharing God's word, because here's what I want to offer to you, and and I want to put it this way so we can pick it up a farmer doesn't set out seed because he thinks he needs to do so to be a farmer that's not why a farmer plants seed he sets out seed because he's a farmer he sets out seed because that's who he is every row crop farmer that I've ever been around learns and lives farming like that's what they do a row crop farmer is not a novice he's not trying to keep up with his credentials but he has a dedicated education and a dedicated outcome when it comes to farming. In general, what I'm saying, Christian, to you is this. When the seed that is God's Word becomes so much a part of our life, our learning, and our purpose, setting out seed won't be something that we have to do Setting out seed won't be something that we do because we need to do it in order to be a Christian. No, setting out seed and sharing God's Word will be what we do just because it's who we are. You see, the more we take in of God's Word, the more we take it into our mind, the more we take it into our heart, the more it will come out of our mouth. And the more we saturate ourselves with the Word of God, the less fear we have of witnessing because we know what we believe. And we don't picture every kind of situation of witnessing as one-on-one with somebody we've never known. A lot of times our witness has to do with that first circle right around us, which is our family, our children, the ones that we influence, our co-workers... And, and we will be met with situations and circumstances and because God's Word is inside of us and the living Spirit of God is inside of us, we will react and respond and address as God's Word leads. Not because we have to do those things to be a Christian or to stay a Christian, but we'll do those things just because we love the Lord and because God is in us. So a farmer sows seeds. Christians, we've got to start seeing ourselves as farmers, Amen. And we got a local culture that we can study from to do that. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 4 and verse 15. As he scattered it across the field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. And then explaining to his disciples in verse 15, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only have to have Satan come at once and take it away. The footpath. Your Bible may say the wayside soil, it's too rigid, too solid for the seed to enter in into the ground and because it stays above the surface, the birds just swoop in and steal it right up off of the concrete, right up off of the sidewalk. As we covered last week, Satan is not a make-believe character, y'all. He is the enemy and given time for a time to do opposition against God. He is the spiritual foe to God's glory and God's purpose. And for a heart that is hard to the truth, a heart that would, would turn its nose up even at healing and exorcisms right before him, a heart that would turn and, and be so solid against the freeing power of God, Satan can easily grab that seed of the word up and take it away. Even though it has the potential to do new life, a hardened heart is like the seed falling on top of concrete that never makes it below the surface. And Jesus said Satan just comes and grabs it right away. Now there are reasons for hardened hearts. There are reasons for that. One of the reasons for a hard heart is because it was never guarded in the first place. It was, it was never protected to begin with. And so over time, as we've been exposed to people and experiences and everything on our screens and enters our mind, it begins to harden our heart for the world and it batters our sense of the world in God's eyes. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for your heart affects everything that you do. That means guard your mind. It means guard your heart. It means guard what's coming to the inside of you through your ears to your eyes. What is coming on to the inside of the way that you view the world? One of the reasons why people are so turned off to the gospel is because the world has given them a false one. And they have bought into it for years and years and years, never protecting the heart that God intends to reach. Before ministry, I was a teacher. Just for a short stint, five years, I taught school. One of the things that I I recognized going into teaching was that the more seasoned teachers, the teachers that have been there for a long, long time... When I first got there, what I understood was this. Any new idea or thought that may be good for change was met with resistance immediately from those teachers who had a hard heart. Skeptical from the jump, man. I mean, we have, you got people that came in there and said, y'all, if we do this, everybody will graduate, get a scholarship. It's been proven across the United States. It's going to better their families. And half the room be like, <laughs> what's it going to cost? Yeah, i believe that when we see it. What is that? And it's not just in teaching. I'm sure that happens in your place of business as well. Over time, relative to experiences and people and the ups and the downs, they didn't guard their heart for the truth. They opened it up to everything else. So they didn't protect it to begin with. So what do they have now? A hardened heart against even that which would improve their situation. There's also personal suffering. Personal suffering leads to a hardened heart. Personal suffering, there's terrible experiences, y'all, in the short-standing ministry I've had. I've heard stories of abuse and circumstances. Some of you, you wouldn't even believe it. Some of you, it would match yours, or it'd be even worse than yours. It's reasons for hardened hearts. Sometimes a hardened heart can begin as a seed of stubbornness, or if you grew up here, bullheadedness. You ever heard that? He's just headed. Yeah, that bullheaded thing can be a real threat to your heart. That's just how he is. He's just stubborn. Well, you better get over that. Because you get to this place where the Lord can't even tell you how to change, how to develop. It's not just something you should be proud of as a man. It may keep you from God. So, so keep in mind that this stubborn side that we have may develop into a hard heart. And you've already got an answer to no before you even heard anything new. Your heart has already said no. You know why? Because you don't know about it. So you've already given a no for what you don't know about. That's a hardened heart. Y'all, here's the good news today. And the blessing of the gospel, in my experience, I've seen circumstances of brokenness finally break the ground of a hard heart. People that you never thought would be saved are now walking in the light of God. As the circumstances that God would allow would finally make that concrete heart pliable that was stony and stubborn and now God has put a new spirit in them towards the love of God, the things of God because they came up off themselves and finally understood that God was trying to help them. I've also seen, y'all listen, I've seen the arrival of a little baby melt the heart of a stubborn male. I'm talking about a child comes into the world as a blessing from God. And that, I'm speaking to the husbands because this is my experience of what has had. And the husband ain't thought of God in years. And all of a sudden he sees that gift that is a child and his heart begins to melt. What was stony and stubborn is now open and pliable to what God would say. Where's your heart? Where is it and where do you want to be? I've seen those who I always thought that they would be mad at God. Always thought that they would be tied up within their circumstances and all the things that have happened. And I've I've seen them be mad at God, but then work it out with God. And God, in the story of his redemption for all of mankind and how all of this was thrown off the rails by the sin of people, God gave them eternal hope and they took it for themselves. Listen, if your heart is hardened, if your heart is unmoved and it's untroubled by sin and consequence, know this, For a footpath to become a garden, the stones have to be broken. Now, there's no amens to that, and there shouldn't be. But, y'all, there may not be a time when you receive the blessing of brokenness. And it can be a blessing. There may not be a time when you receive the Word before you like it is today. And the last time you hear the truth of God's grace and His love and His mercy may be the last time you hear it. Or there's an appointed time for us. Judgment before God. So with that I say to you, if you find yourself with your heart being hardened, hear the word of God and let it soften. And trust God over and above how you feel. Over and above your conclusions to think that God has already made up his mind about you. That's what you say. That's not what God says. Trust God over and above your conclusions that you've drawn from experiences and people and other Christians. Turn from your sin and turn to God. Can somebody say that you have allowed God to have you and God has changed your life for the better in here? Man, everybody in here's got a circumstance. Everybody in here's got a situation. Everybody in here's got experiences. Everybody got a, has got people in here that get on their nerves. Amen? Some of them sitting on the same row and you hadn't told them yet. But it's that way for everybody. And just because people are bad don't mean that God's bad. And just because circumstances are bad doesn't mean that God's bad. Let me tell you something. It would be an evil, twisted, bad God to leave us in sin and not do anything about it. But God in His goodness has made a way for us to be redeemed out of all this. To have heaven. And y'all, the person to your right and your left may get on your nerves but we're just as bad as them. Everybody gets on somebody's nerves. Some of y'all stop looking at me like that, right? Man, trust God above how you feel. Mark chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Mark chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun And since it didn't have deep roots, it died. And Jesus explains to the disciples in 16 and 17, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message. And they immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they didn't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Shallow soil with underlying rock. This describes to a T the ditch of mine and Brittany's first residence. We couldn't get grass to grow there for nothing. I mean, we bring agronomers out there, farmers out there. And truly, it's because of the condition that you see in the Scripture. We had a yard full of grass, but the slope was rocky and dry, and the sun would bake it out. And everything we did, we, we tried, it would work into a sprout, and then it would not grow deep enough, and so it would kill it because the heat would, would be so intense that it would kill it, it would dry it out. And I was cutting dust again with my lawnmower. And this stony and ground and the hot sun is representative of one whose salvation experience is short-lived. And even as I say that, I want you to consider yourself and where you are and where you want to be. One whose salvation experience is is short-lived, or you would call it short-lived yourself, or somebody else may call it that for you. Now, this is the place where one begins to think, as we look at this category and the categories moving forward, this is the place where one begins to think, well, are they saved or not? Is that somebody that's really saved or are they not really saved? and at the very least these next two examples are not ideal and at the most they are not salvation at all y'all if we get to this place where we think I hope I have enough salvation you're not living in the light of God if we think I sure hope I got enough to make it in there's a whole lot more to this Christianity and freedom from sin thing than you know about because God will not only free you up from the penalty of sin but God will free you from the power of sin and give you freedom in your life By the power of the Spirit of God. At the very least, again, these these two examples are are not ideal. At the most, not salvation at all. So don't take your cue about salvation from this example. The point of the parable is not so much about gauging genuine salvation as it is explaining why one responds to the gospel this way. About the heart that is in condition in response to what Jesus is saying. That said it's important to note that genuine salvation produces change. Genuine salvation produces lasting change. And there may be times when we're at a guilty distance, as as we talked about coming to the altar, and Bradley prayed that there are times when, when he's been faithful, we've been unfaithful, and God gives us confession and forsaking, and the Spirit of God is working to that end. And there may be times when we are there, but there is no lasting falling away when it comes to real salvation. I feel like I need to stop and say this to you. If there's somebody in your life, if you feel like this describes them, that there, there's not been... If this describes them, and instead of just worrying about it, go talk to them. Go talk to them your son, if it's your daughter, if it's your family member, if you felt like there's been a falling away and you don't know if the salvation they had was even real, pray it up and move it out, and almost, I think, sometimes they'll thank you, but just go. Christians, farmers plant seed, amen? Notice that verse 6 speaks of death. Verse 6, salvation and death don't go together, y'all. And verse 6 speaks of death. Since it didn't have deep roots, it died. There is no death. There is no death for the Christian. There's a, a physical death where this shell's going in the ground, but even that body's going to get up at a appointed time. But the soul life that is conscious to God and saved by the grace of God never dies. So death does not go along with salvation. And then seventeen speaks of a falling away. Well, listen to this, and it's on your screen. It's highlighted. Write it down. Real salvation endures. That's the characteristic of genuine salvation. Because Jesus said in Matthew 24, as he was speaking about a future day and a nearing of the end, that sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So let that be an encouragement to you, especially if you feel like giving up. You just keep getting after it, trusting God. Whoever is listening, listen, the scripture says. Salvation is not so much an immediate reception as it is an enduring faith. Salvation is not so much an immediate reception as it is an enduring faith. It's not a decision that goes away. It's a decision that is the beginning to something that endures. One commentary I studied made this point. While joy is certainly attached to salvation— this referring to a glad reception is what it says. It's th- This seed in the ground and the receiving of the good news is met with this glad reception, this joyful attitude, a reception of the hope of heaven. But it's a reception of the hope of heaven without a commitment to a king. It's a man, it's, a, it's an emotional experience that is just like, this is the best news I've heard. I can have heaven. It's going to be great. It's awesome. And then you're not in that same place. A few years from now, in fact, you're completely away from that truth and moved on to another one. It's much like the idea of a grand vacation in the wintertime for the summer that's coming up. Y'all walk in here, it's real cold. Everybody's shivering. I've seen more guys with sports coats on today than I have in a while, right? Y'all look great and it's cold outside. And so people begin to talk to you about, let's go to the beach in the summer. Man, that sounds awesome. When do y'all want to go? I don't know. July? July's great. Let's go. We're in. Who's in? I'm in. Everybody's in. Who doesn't want a, who doesn't want a beach at the summertime? Yeah, man, we'll go and, and we'll drink a sundrop by the water. It's going to be wonderful. And then as time goes on and inflation goes up, sundrop gets more expensive. We can't even buy a tank of gas around here. You know what I'm talking about? And when you begin to add up all those circumstances, we bow out. Nah, you want to the beach? Nah, man, I'm good. Just something we thought about. Probably would have been fun, but not going anymore. See, real salvation is not how you feel. It's a fact. Real salvation is not about if you're feeling it, if you're feeling it, with God today. But I ain't really feeling God. I'm not really vibing that way tomorrow. Come on. We're not talking about going on vacation. We're talking about being right with God or not. This is salvation is, is not just a, a mental ascent. Like that sounds good to me. It's a true turning of self and turning to God. Because you have given way to what the Lord is doing in your heart. Real salvation is not rooted in the idea of heaven. Listen to this. Real salvation is not rooted in the idea of heaven, but the truth of God. It may start with wanting to go to heaven, but it lasts with the desire to believe and behave the God who rescued us from hell. I read that this week. There are two things to do about the gospel. Believe it and behave it. Amen? I wish I would have come up with that because that's good. Verse 7 and verses 18 and 19. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up, choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. And then Jesus explains in verses 18 and 19, the seed that fell among thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth and desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. This is a distracted heart divided heart think of it y'all the very word of God revelation to who God is and what he's about and what he's doing and how we can know him is crowded out it's crowded out with the things of the world the world that is passing away the world that is not unified in one but is all kinds of different crazy just the other day my wife and I we went on a short lunch date, and we had made a decision. We were going to a certain place. If we can get there and go in, we're going to eat there. And, and it's a new place over in Huntsville. And as we got there, there were people lined up to get in at lunchtime. And that's when I was like, I, I don't care how many people are eating in here, like We can go get a sandwich. We're about to leave this place. This is craziness, right? But what I'm telling you is, is we had this thought that we would go in that door and and that we would be a part of what's going on in there. And then when we begin to see other things, different ideas begin to entertain within our mind. And all of a sudden we're going like this, do we go in, do we not? This is what happens in our world. There's competitive ideas. What we had in our heart that day and what we had in our heart that was set on is now having competition. Multitude, please listen to this. Why in the world would God include this in the Scripture for those of us who are listening if it don't apply today? You ever thought about that? Like we read this and we think, like, man, what were those folks doing? Yeah, yeah. What are these folks doing? Like we're giving dollars and minutes and moments and memories over to some things that are good for a minute, but they're not to be for our life. They're just not. Two weeks, it's been longer than that. We went to, my son and I, some other family members went to Auburn. God help us. Let's just stop, I'm just kidding. (laughs) We We went to Auburn. And as we're there in the middle of the crowd, huge crowds, walking downtown, there are guys standing up on boxes, speakers, microphones, and are preaching the gospel to the multitudes, multitudes of people. On every corner. I, I've actually done this in Ecuador before. And and I remember this because we had a student here that translated for me because he spoke Spanish. And the guy was like, who wants to preach on the street corners? Me and Alan. And Alan and I both were like, man, let's get it. Like, okay, this is, this is something I've not done before. They can't understand any of my references because I don't speak any English. Let's go for it. Trust God, right? So when we were walking through the streets of Auburn and, and they were saying these things, everybody just so focused on what the day was about and wouldn't even look at them. Like, we wouldn't even look at them. And, and honestly, I really think it's because we don't want you messing with what we're trying to do today. Like, we just want to be here to be entertained and be here and have a good time. And, you know, I, I, l- listen, I'm not saying, like, going to a ballgame is sinful. I'm just trying to give you the picture of the truth in the multitudes as the multitudes just walk right on by. And I told my son, I said, just because it's weird don't mean it's wrong. Just because it may seem to you that it's weird for these guys to be standing up on boxes telling the truth to all these folks, don't mean that it's wrong. And I began to listen too, and I was trying to hear for myself, I'm like, are you preaching a real gospel or not? You know, and they were. And then one guy got political, and I'm like, man, don't ruin it, man. You're out here trying to tell the truth. Now he's trying to get into all this COVID protocols. I'm like, just preach the gospel, brother. But I thought to myself, like, We live in a culture, though, we live in a culture where I would have bet that 75% of the people that were passing by those boxes that have already heard it. We've already heard it. We're so saturated with, with a church on every corner and the Word of God and knowing Jesus and enough to talk about the blood. But we, in the same vein, are so distracted by the cares of the world and of our life that we're going to end up standing before God going, man, there was so much more I know I could have done. Thank you for letting me in. Goodness, we don't want to go out like that, somebody. Say amen to that. The worries of this life, the lure of wealth, the desire for other things. That's what the Bible says. The worries of this life, the lure of wealth, the desire for other things. Count the cost. The world and the wealth, that's attractive. But attractive and entertaining does not equal productive. Because I want you to hear what the scripture says again. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Jesus went on to say, crowded out by the worries of the life and the lure of wealth and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. Like there is nothing going out of you that the Holy Spirit is pouring into you. It's all about what I want to do all the time. It's all about what I've got on my schedule and what I want to accomplish and what I want to be when I grow up. God help us if that is our heart. If you planted a rose bush in the ground, but it didn't grow roses, what would you think? I want you to answer that question in the quiet of your mind. Students, college kids, senior adults, and everybody in between, if you planted a rose bush in your garden at your house and it didn't grow roses, what would you begin to think? Is this even a rose bush? This ain't even a rose bush. Entertainment and attractive And time fillers is not the same as productive. We are purposed to glorify God, purposed to make disciples. And heaven help us not to stand before the Lord, knowing we gave the life He gave us over to competing ideas with the world and wealth. Quickly, we were on a mission trip once with students here at this church in Lindsay Lane. We were in Jackson, Mississippi. We were in Jackson, Mississippi, and we are downtown in the city square. And basically what we were to do that day was just to connect with people to share the good news. To, to just be a light, to encourage them, to, to share the gospel and have a conversation that mattered, right? That's why we were there. And while we were there, we had many conversations with people who were homeless. They were sitting there, laying there, walking by. Their time slots are not filled. And so we began to have many conversations with people that were in need. But then there was also this world outside of that filled with white shirts, ties, briefcases, and schedules. And as they walked up towards us, laser focused, they didn't even give a thought to a conversation with us because they didn't want it. Because a conversation with us meant that it would have to mess up what their day looked like. Y'all, sometimes it's, it's quite easier to share God's word with those who have nothing than with those who are pursuing everything. The opposite sex, athletics, careers, education, current issues, drama, our bucket list, political change, financial future, all of these can be thorns that choke the life out of what God is trying to do. Crowding the truth and keeping us distracted from the point that we are missing from the revelation of God. That those that God flips now work for Him. That God is working in and working on is now working for Him. Finally, we reach the ideal heart, and I'm going a little long, and I apologize. Verse 8 and verse 20. Verse 8 and verse 20, this is where we finally get to the ideal situation, the ideal heart, which I hope in my heart explains the situation for many of you. Verse 8, still other seeds fell on fertile soil. They sprouted, grew, grew and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as has been planted. Now I want you to notice this, Christian. Not everybody in their production of disciples or service or however you wanna look it up and however God counts it, because there's three different things listed here. Some of us are gonna leave behind a legacy of 30, and some of us are gonna leave behind a legacy of 100 times as much, but it's production none the same. And I want you to understand again, That this is not production unto salvation. It is production because of salvation. It's a key point of discipleship. Verse 20, Jesus said, And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. The ideal heart desires new life. That is the ideal heart. What we have that's wrong, we want it to be right. What we have that's taken us down, we want it to be lifted up by the grace of God. The ideal heart desires new. It wants something better that only God can give. And watch this. It doesn't just want something better for itself. It wants something better for others. I'm saved and I want you to be saved too. That's the ideal heart. The ideal heart wants to, to be changed and for the desires of others to be changed. Not all change in production is the same across the board for every believer, as we just mentioned. But from every genuine believer's life, there will be evidence of new life and spiritual fruit. Y'all that sit in this congregation today, are people witnessing to you in your own family? Are kids, are your parents trying to figure out if you're saved or not? And if you keep going back and forth going, y'all, I'm telling you, I've called upon the name of the Lord, maybe they're looking for a little fruit in your life. And they're wondering if the Spirit of God is drawing you to a place of real decision or if He's convicting you of your sin to turn from you from the way that you're going so that people stop asking you questions. Are you asking questions of yourself? Am I really saved? That's a good question to ask. If your heart is open to true life change, wanting God's Spirit to come inside of you and turn you from the way that you're going and to be not just fit for heaven, but to serve the King. If, if that is what's happening in your heart, Then call on the name of the Lord. In genuine faith, come and let's talk about it during the invitation. As a point of discipleship, y'all, it's not just about us calling out. It's about the Holy Spirit coming in. Has God's Spirit come into your life? When we were living for ourselves, a sin nature produces only bad things. It produces only sinful results. Bad motives. But when one turns from self and turns to God... By believing in Jesus, this is what the Bible says in Galatians 5.22. The Holy Spirit comes inside of our lives and produces this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Like God is working up on the inside things that we want to be on the outside. That's happening by the power of the Spirit of God. So if that's happening, yield. Walk in the Spirit of God. Obey the Word of God towards production. Remember the question that we asked at the beginning as we closed. Which one am I and which one do I want to be? Y'all don't be one that you want to be for the rest of your life. You're sitting in front of God's Word today. This is undeniably the desired outcome here in verse 20. Good soil that desires growth and a production and multiplication. You see, there's a distinction between hearing and accepting or hearing and the hearing and accepting. There's a difference between hearing and hearing and accepting. I got to share this with a, a team this past week. Last illustration, I promise y'all I'm closing. There was just a heart full of things this week and I'm sorry. I'll give y'all five minutes off next week. I can't, I put that in contract. I was, uh, a friend of mine, were, we were coaching together. And we were at a tournament where one of our friends was coaching. It was a softball tournament. And we're talking with him, and he's on third base. My dad was there, too. We were all just kind of yucking it up, having a good time. That team's winning, or they're about to win. They got bases loaded. And a young girl comes up, and she gets in the box. First ball, second ball, third ball. 3-0, and 3-0. Oh, oh. A lot of y'all know what that means. If you don't know what that means, that means there's three balls and no strikes. That means that the likelihood, because she's throwing about nine balls in a row, is she's about to walk you, too. So... If unless you're a professional hitter, that means for you, don't swing the bat. Don't swing it. So the, the friend of ours, that's a coach, looks at her. She steps out of the box and he goes, hey, good job. 3-0. and o. You know what to do on 3-0, and o, don't you? Yes, sir. We've practiced it, and we went over. You got it. 3-0. and o. Got it. Lord have mercy. She stepped in that box, and the next pitch, she swung like she was Hank Aaron. And she popped it up to third base. Inning over, no run scored. And by the time we turned to look at him, he was already past us because he had his finger pointed at her. And he yelled her all the way back to the dugout. And some of you are all like, he shouldn't have done that. Yes, he should have. Yes, he should have. Yeah. She can take it. She's, look, but listen to the point. that's another message. (laughs) Listen, there's a difference between hearing and hearing and accepting. There's a difference. Because Jesus said, I want you to again, look, look in the scripture. Verse 20. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear And accept God's word. You see, God, don't make any mistake about this. God is the major player when it comes to salvation, He does the work of saving. But God's sovereignty does not exclude our receptivity to the gospel and the good news of His mercy. This is why Jesus says, Listen and understand, so that we don't reject. This today is not just about hearing. It's about hearing and accepting. When you accept something, you make it personal to you as your own. Not your granddaddy's salvation because he was a pastor. Not your mama's salvation because she was a good woman. Not your association with church culture or living in the South. This is about you and your heart hearing and accepting. Where are you and where do you want to be? Amen? Let's stand to our feet. I can tell you that if it's time for you to take a next step towards salvation, you know exactly where you want to be. You want to talk to us now, and you don't want to put it off. Would you be bold and walk this aisle the moment we begin to sing? Would you walk right up here and say, I need to be saved? That's all you got to say is those few words. I need to be saved, and we'll take it from there. And if you are already saved, I'd ask that you just pray for these folks now and pray about our own hearts. If, if you are are at that place where you need to take a next step of joining the church or or being a part of a group, or think about what your next steps are. Do you need to be baptized? Let's talk about it. You can catch us down here in the front. You can come and pass right on by us, and you can pray at this altar. You can catch us after church. We just want to help you. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you, O God, for your grace and your mercy and your love. Lord, for those in here today that don't believe that they deserve forgiveness, you've offered it anyway you took upon them or took upon yourself what they could not take for themselves. So Lord, I pray today, oh God, that for those who need to receive the gospel, to yield, to hear and believe today that they would do that. And Lord, I pray for those of us who who are right with you, God, that we would yield to be closer, to sow seed, to be productive. Lord, that this would be the priority of our life in everything that we do. And not, Lord, so that everything we do would be the priority of our life. We thank you, O oh God, again for your grace and patience, working our hearts now towards the decision. In Jesus' name.